everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens, but our show is not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program celebrating New York, its, its history, its texture, and the vibe of this amazing city that we live in. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, musicians, and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight, we bring an individual New York neighborhood to you, and we explore its history and its current energy. So what makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Other times, on other shows, we celebrate an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Fire episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them did, believe it or not. We've looked at the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement. We've looked at the history of different immigrant communities, including people who were brought here in slave. We've looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and gay rights movement. We've explored bicycles and cycling. They've been part of New York life for more than 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. We've looked at our public library systems. We have three of them, everyone in New York. We visited the subway, public art, our greatest train stations, and even some of our bridges, just to name a few. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can catch us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other services. Uh, tonight, we are journeying to Jamaica in Queens. My guests are uh, here tonight. Uh, the first is no stranger to rediscovering New York. He's facing the coast. Jason is a journalist and author of six well-received books on the borough of Queens. He's a graduate of the University of Miami and is a lifelong New Yorker. His family has lived in the five boroughs since 1913. His first book on the history of Whitestone was published in 2006 when he was 25. In 2007, he wrote the first history book ever written on Shea Stadium, and it's currently in its fourth printing. Published other books, Flushing Then and Now. Jackson Heights, Images of America, Corona, The Early Years, Queens Then and Now, and his latest book just published is on the history of Douglaston and Little Neck. Jason is a contributing writer to Give Me a Story, a magazine. His recent professional affiliations have included the position of associate editor of the Queens Chronicle, and if that's not enough, Jason is the president of the Queens Historical Society. Jason Antos, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Jeff, good evening. Thank you for having me back on the show. I hope my sound is better. I reworked some of my connections. Am I coming across better or not? It's, uh, it's coming across so-so. It's uh, okay. still a little crackly, but that's okay. I wonder why it's crackly. All right, I'm going to change one other connection here. Okay. Can I be heard? No. Hello? Hi, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, Still a great. lot of static, but I, I can hear you. Okay, great. God, it sounds like the old days when you're uh, broadcasting by shortwave radio from yeah. a war correspondent from... Yeah, uh, like on the old Vitrola. That's yeah, it. Or, or from the Western Front. Well, it'll my, my Edward R. Murrow persona will come out a little bit. Um, Jason, you're not only from New York, but you are from Queens. Where in Queens did you grow up? Well, I grew up here in Flushing, uh, more specifically in Whitestone. I've been here for uh, over 35 years, proud resident. Um, went to school here, went to public school here. And um, <clears throat> and my family has been living in Queens since uh, 1960. Wow. And you live in Whitestone now? Correct. Yeah, okay. um, when did you first become interested in New York history, Jason? I started writing about New York City history, oh, when I was in high school. Uh, I started to uh, do, like, little independent projects, writing projects and photography projects on uh, old houses in the neighborhood. Um, you know, having a family that had lived here for so many years prior to, to me being born here, you know, I used to enjoy listening to their stories about the neighborhood. And, you know, as, as a 
local kid growing up and who you know had aspirations for becoming a writer, I decided that uh, maybe to try to write about Queens and the history of Queens. And I started, I enjoyed writing about it very much. And it kind of blossomed from there once I got out of school. And um, when I graduated with a degree in journalism and I got a job as a reporter, that's uh, really where um, it started. You know, when I had, uh, as a writer, when I started having access to historical societies and archives, and that's really where I would flourish. Mm. When and how did you get involved with the Queen's Historical Society? I got involved with the Queen's Historical Society back in 2004 when I did the first book on Whitestone. Um, I was 23 uh, years old at the time uh, when I started the project, and it came out in 2006 when I was uh, uh, 25 and uh, <clears throat> they were the first place that I had gone to to look for photos and information. I didn't even know that there was a Queen's Historical Society, and I found about them uh, through the library. And um, I remember driving down there, and I didn't even contact them. I had, uh, to be honest with you, I, I remember writing them a letter, like a physical letter, and putting it in the mail. And uh, they contacted me after I sent them that letter, and I set up a time to go down there. And, you know, I was uh, hooked from the from the day one. Hmm. Well, I've also been informed by our uh, great engineer, Sam Leibowitz, that my audio is almost up uh, to snuff. But thankfully on this show, um, I don't do most of the talking except the first couple of minutes. It's my guests. So if I am a little staticky, it won't it won't carry okay. on for most of the rest of the program. Um, first question about Jamaica, Jason, how did it get its name? And is it the name from the same place that the island of Jamaica comes from? Well, uh, yes and no. So Jamaica um, uh, was first settled by the Dutch, and it was known as uh, Rustendorp or Rustendorp, which is a territory in the Netherlands. Uh, the Dutch settled it around the early uh, uh, 1650s, and the word Jamaica comes, it's a British corruption of the Native American word Yamiko, which means the place of the beaver pelt. It's a Native American term for that was used by the Algonquin and Lene Lenape peoples. And uh, so it's an English corruption of the word Yamiko. And they thus pronounced it Jamaica. It's funny, when I think of beavers, I think of, you know, the wild woods and the hills and the mountains of upstate New York in the West, where there are a lot of beavers in, in Queens and what became Queens, or is that just because it, uh, it became a trading center? And, and that's where... Oh, no, where the there, there were uh, a lot of uh, beavers uh, that were used to be hunted in the hunting grounds in the southern part of Long Island and the southern shores of, of Queens, uh, where there was a lot of uh, swampland and wetlands and... Um, it was uh, it was uh, kind of a uh, uh, you know in abundance in the native in the days of the Native Americans when they had uh, settlements across the territory and they would use certain geographical or natural uh, natural uh, occurrences or oddities in the area uh, from which they named the territories. Hmm. You know, I've had being a past guest on the show, Jason, I always like to ask about the local people who lived here before Europeans came. Sure. Um, but not only did, did local Algonquin live here, but what would become Jamaica was actually a crossroads for people of different Lenape communities, wasn't it? Yes, you had many different uh, peoples coming in from, uh, from uh, New Jersey, from Manhattan, what uh, we now know as Manhattan Island. Uh, also down through the Hudson Valley, uh, who would use Jamaica as a crossroad. It, it basically, the what would become known as Jamaica Avenue, began as a Native American uh, path trail along the south shore of Long Island. Mm. And different, uh, although there were the so-called 13 tribes of Long Island, uh, it actually was later debunked and it's basically you have different groups and they're, and they're referring to different areas by, as I mentioned, by an oddity in the area from, from nature or a natural occurrence. For example, I like to tell uh, popular stories that Maspeth Queens is a Lenny Lenape word, which is Maspet, which means the place of dirty or stagnant water. People uh, get a kick out of that sometimes. So that's uh, usually where, you know, you have these uh, sort of names. Mm. 
You mentioned that the Dutch first named it Rusdorp, um, and the Dutch settled here a little bit later than they did other parts of New Netherland. I think it was the 1650s. Yes. Um, when, how quickly did the area that became Jamaica, uh, that would become Jamaica, get, get sort of anglicized with English settlers after the English took over New Netherland from the Dutch? Well, it, it happened very quickly. Uh, basically, what it was, was you had two groups. You had the Dutch and you had the British and the Dutch had control of Manhattan Island and of, of Brooklyn, or what we call East New York. And that was their territory. And that was their center, <clears throat> excuse me, of power, their stronghold. And the Dutch really didn't settle beyond Western Queens. Um, and the main reason for this was that everything west of, let's say, Long Island City, or east of Long Island City, I should say, was uh, was inhabited by the Lenni Lenape people, and the reason it was more anglicized than Dutch was for the simple reason that the Dutch and the Native Americans did not get along. They did not get along at all. Uh, they could not trade properly with them, and they could not communicate with them. But the English, on the other hand, coming from New England, coming from Connecticut, coming from Massachusetts, excuse me, uh, they had a much more positive experience living and trading and working amongst Native Americans. So the Dutch would sell the Eastern territories to the English because they were the only ones willing and comfortable to live out in this area amongst the Natives. You know, this brings up an interesting question, and we've never really talked about it on the show before, but now might be a good opportunity to do it, especially since, you know, Jamaica also was was uh, a, a crossroads, you know, where, where Dutch met English before the takeover of New Netherland. What, what was it about the way, because we always think about the Dutch as being, you know, really great colonists in that, they, you know, they didn't try to subjugate people, they just wanted the money, you know, they just traded. And, and if you uh, uh, followed the rules, you know, uh, there was relative religious freedom compared to colonies of other European countries. Um, what was it about the way the English uh, uh, conducted themselves in the colonies that that made their... Um, dealing with the local people more smooth, uh, smoother than than the way the Dutch did. Because actually, the Dutch, I know, you know, there were there were a number of little wars that existed, uh, like in what's now New Jersey. There were raids that the, that uh, 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 the Dutch West India Company conducted to try to uh, uh, do something. But you know, in the end, in the end, people were killed and massacred as a result of that. What was it about the English that uh, had them relate better to to local peoples? Uh, no. Uh... Uh, basically the opposite, you know, no, no raids, so to speak. The, Brit the British were coming here for, or the English, I should say, for, you know, religious freedom and also to escape persecution themselves. So I think uh, since there was uh, some sort of equal billing, so to speak, under the eyes of the Dutch authorities, uh, their tolerance of Native Americans was, uh, was a, improvement over the Dutch and they were here just for different reasons. The Dutch were, uh, was a colonizer to, you know, exploit the area for its riches. And as you said, it was a business. It was the Dutch West India uh, company trading company. And this was a trading outpost slash colony where the original settlers uh, were coming from new England were more about establishing homesteads. Uh, once the British influence increased in Eastern Queens and Long Island, then the British come and take over in a in a bloodless battle uh, where they seize the New York colony or New Netherland colony, and it's uh, quickly transferred over. And actually, maybe uh, not so ironically, the oldest extant house in the five boroughs of the city actually is, even though the Dutch were here first, it's English built. That's the John Bowne house, and that's in the borough of Queens. In Flushing. In Flushing. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our show on Jamaica and our fascinating conversation with Jason Antos, who's the president of the English of the English, excuse me, of the Queen's Historical Society. Uh, we'll be That's back it. in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Innings. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. back to Rediscovering New York. Uh, my first guest on this show on Jamaica, it's episode 117, by the way, everyone, is Jason Antos. Jason is an author and president of the Queens Historical Society. Um, Jason, I want to ask you about your latest book. Uh, it was just published. It was on the history of Douglaston and Little Neck. Yes. It is, not was. It still is. Even still is. Still is. It was published, uh, yes, in, in uh came out on March uh, 22nd. Uh, Actually, yeah. No, yeah. March 22nd. So it's been out for about three months and it's doing well, thank goodness. Um, and now as uh, things begin to open up, uh, we are in talks of doing book talks at Barnes & Noble and the Douglas and Little Neck Historical Society and also at Queens Historical Society. So that will be something to look forward to in the late summer. And I'm very much looking forward to to going to an event on your book uh, as sort of a coming out of uh of sorts and post pandemic. Uh, and I have to get an autographed copy. Uh, yes. anyway. um, we sometimes talk about neighborhoods in the revolutionary war. We don't spend a lot of time talking about it, but uh, there's a lot of revolutionary war history or at the end of the, of, of the war specific to Jamaica and that happened in Jamaica. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you um, uh, a question about uh, the beginning of the war. Was Jamaica, what would become Jamaica, uh, a, a stronghold for the Tories in terms of the people who were living here? Yes. Yeah, so Jamaica, as was most of Queens County, was pro-Tory. Mm -hmm. uh, pro-Tory meant that you were for uh, the colonies. You were uh, a British uh, loyalist or a loyalist to the king, and thus you did not favor succession uh, from England to create an independent nation. Uh, Queens was notoriously pro-Tory, but with numerous uh, anti uh, colonial sentiment throughout. Uh, Flushing was a stronghold for the Tories, as was Jamaica Township. Flushing and Jamaica being the two largest townships, along with Newtown Township in the county of Queens. But there was uh, a small unit of Jamaica people who actually fought against the English, uh, who sure. fought against the British in the, in the Battle of Long Island, in the Battle of Brooklyn. Yes, that would be the, the famous Minutemen uh, who were encamped in Jamaica and also throughout Flushing as well. Uh, Flushing and Jamaica saw a lot of action during the Revolution era. Uh, primarily Jamaica 
specifically Jamaica Avenue and 158th Street was where there was a tremendous encampment of British soldiers. Um, in Flushing, in downtown Flushing on Main Street in Northern was where the whipping post was for people who showed uh, disloyalty uh, towards the king. Uh, the Quaker Meeting House was used as a prison uh, to uh, imprison pro-American uh, uh, and pro-revolutionary people, as well as the Bound House was used as a prison as well, but mainly the Quaker Meeting House. So there was a tremendous amount of revolutionary activity in Jamaica and in Flushing. Whipping post, it sounds pretty serious, but I suppose they did whip people as uh, they had corporal punishment in those days. Oh, absolutely. And they hung people as well. Mm. Well, we still execute people, but not nearly as much as uh, we used to. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Let's talk about the end of the Revolutionary War. Um, uh, very Part of the war that a lot of people don't really uh, know about is is or really have a lot of information about is what happened when the English left. Uh, the, the British lost the Battle of Yorktown in 1781, and it took two years to negotiate the peace in the Treaty of Paris uh, in September of 1783. But then the British agreed to leave, um, and uh, Jamaica was a big staging area for them leaving the area, wasn't it? Yes, it was, uh, because the Jamaica was how you accessed Brooklyn, and thus the uh, Atlantic Ocean from that point on. So that was a staging area for evacuation day, which I believe is celebrated in March, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And it is, uh, yeah, it was the area where the British were uh, lined up, where they marched out, the final orders were given, the Union Jack was lowered, and they marched from Jamaica into Brooklyn and from there to the harbor where they boarded uh, flagships and warships and sailed back to England. There is a diary entry from a famous um, uh, Flushing Quaker who was related to the Parsons family that said on that day, for most of the morning, there was tremendous commotion. And then by noon, everything was dead silent. And he said for the first time in years, the, the, the area seemed very lonesome because mm -hmm. all of these people had had left. That, they, that people were used to seeing for years, you know, almost like it's an occupying army in the streets and in the villages day in and day out were suddenly gone. Once the English started evacuating, do we know how many, how many people actually disembarked or embarked from New York to go back to, to Britain? Oh, sure. I don't know the number offhand, but there is a tremendous amount of literature on, on this, on this incident. Um, there's actually a really good book that just came out uh, on the Washington spy trail uh, from Queens through the North shore of Long Island. Um, and it was released by history press just a couple of months ago. Uh, people could look it up on Amazon and it's readily available. And that's a great uh, tool to learn about the, the, the facts and figures of how many British soldiers they were and all about evacuation day. And is there anything that lingers or any any remnants of of British time in in New York, in Jamaica oh, during sure. the war and, and during the evacuation? Absolutely. Well, uh, we have to note famous uh, uh, Jamaica resident Rufus King. Uh, he was a Massachusetts representative uh, on the Continental Congress. Uh, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence who then relocated to Jamaica and Rufus and the Rufus King uh, homestead, which is located in Jamaica. It's still there today in the, in the middle of uh, King. It's uh, known as King Manor and in the middle of Rufus King Manor Park. Um, it is a national uh, historical landmark and a state landmark. And it's, um, I believe, uh, now open for business as we come out of this pandemic, but that is a, a beautiful example of revolutionary era uh, life and remnants in stilling Jamaica to this day. Well, there was a, a tavern that existed in Jamaica that closed not, in the big scheme of things, not that long ago, but that survived yeah. from revolutionary war times. Do you want to talk about Pete's? 
Yeah, there was a pizza or a, a, a Pettit's a Tavern, uh, and that was a huge uh, area that was a, it was a local watering hole for British soldiers during the Revolutionary War. Um, and although he did not uh, travel through Jamaica that often, I mean, it was, I mean, the most noted is his tour of Long Island. We have to mention George Washington and Vice President a- uh, John Adams, who toured Queens in, uh, in the 1780s. Uh, from Flushing. They came from Brooklyn <clears throat> up into Flushing Harbor and then marched or traveled down Northern Boulevard out to Rosalind uh, to to give thanks to the uh, loyalists uh, who helped with the cause in, in, in their victory over the British. Mm. Well, let's move uh, beyond the Revolutionary War a bit. Um, Jamaica has one of the earliest public school systems that was established in the state. Yes, uh, that would be the Union Hall. It was a seminary school for boys and girls. Uh, there were two separate schools. I mean, it wasn't uh, boys and girls. It wasn't co-ed. It was, so it was two separate facilities. And this was started in the 1700s. Uh, and then uh, by the uh, early 1800s, about a century later, uh, these facilities were turned into public schools, and it was where the first public schools in Queens County was uh, established. And I think it might have been the first public school system in in what became the five boroughs, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, we're certainly one of the earliest ones. One of the earliest ones. Also, I just want to mention very quickly, um, I, I don't think we ever discussed this, but since we're on Revolutionary War era uh, subject matter, uh, it is interesting to point out that uh, you know, Queens is named after uh, Catherine of Braganza, you know, of, for the of the king of Spain um, or the uh, queen of Spain, I should say. And or as legend has it. But when in the early days of the British uh, takeover or the British occupation, uh, it was known as Yorkshire. Mm, Yorkshire. Huh? That, that, so, yeah. So that is the. Uh, early name or origin name of Queens. Hmm. When did Jamaica become part of greater New York city? Oh, well, uh, when Queens became part of greater New York city, that would be January 1st, 1898 uh, during the great consolidation. Um, Jamaica, as I said, is one of the original uh, villages of Queens County. It's Newtown, which is Western Queens, Flushing, Jamaica. And then, um, uh, Hempstead and North Hempstead, because everything that constituted Nassau, uh, that is present day Nassau County, was part of Queens until January 1st, 1899 and 1900. One thing many New Yorkers relate to a lot, Jason, about Jamaica is the Jamaica station of the Long Island Railroad. When you say Jamaica, yeah. a lot of people have been through it. And unfortunately, a lot of people haven't who go through Jamaica station haven't been outside. I can say I have. I've actually been in and around. I've been to York to talk about Yorkshire. I've been to York uh, University a couple of times, York College, yes. and uh, also dined in the area. Um, when did um, Jamaica station get established? When did that get built? Jamaica station got established uh, after the Civil War. The Long Island Railroad uh, originated in Brooklyn. Uh, people have to remember that Brooklyn or Kings County is, as well as Queens, is geographically part of Long Island. Not legally part of Long Island, but we are geographically uh, part of Long Island. So the Long Island Railroad begins through Brooklyn and makes its way up through Jamaica. And so Jamaica became, uh, which is, you know, the southern part of the of the county. So Jamaica Township becomes a major hub for people coming from Manhattan through Brooklyn to access Queens and thus greater Long Island. In the minute or so we have left, Jason, do you want to talk briefly about how Jamaica has changed in the 20th century? We'll talk about the 21st century uh, with our second guests. Sure. Well, Jamaica has always been uh, populated, a very populated part of, of the county uh, from the colonial days up through the uh, 20th century. Uh, it was a, a booming place for industry and businesses. Uh, numerous neighborhoods were developed in the 20s and the 30s uh, when real estate development came to the area um, after the First World War. 
and it has always been a culturally diverse area. Uh, every you know, thirty years or so, forty years, it, the, the demographic changes uh, with all new peoples coming in, and um, it's just a, a as as it is, I guess, with the rest of Queens and all of New York City. It's it's uh, forever uh, evolving. Uh, it, it's really never stayed in in one place, and that's and that's very good to see. You know, it's interesting to see because it brings a lot of change and a lot of change brings a lot of diversity. So it's a, it's a very special place. And I think it's a, a part of Queens that is still uh, yet to be really um, uh, appreciated. It's been widely publicized very successfully. So in the past 10 years, and I still think it has, uh, you know, that there's a, a, a lot there for, to offer people who may, you know, who are new to New York city, who are exploring Queens. We hear about a story along Island city and they're just discovering Flushing, but I urge people to go to Jamaica as well because it's a unique place and there's a lot to offer. And we will explore current Jamaica with our second guest in the second half of the program. Excellent. Jason, thank you so much. My first guest on our episode on Jamaica, Queens is the historian Jason Antos. Jason is president of the Queens Historical Society, and he's also published. He's got at least a half a dozen books. His latest is on the history of Douglaston and Little Neck. And one, if you're going to get any of Jason's books that you have to get, is on Shea Stadium. Uh, Jason, thanks for being on the show. We're going to be taking a short break, and when we come back, we are going to speak with our second guests, who will give us a vantage point of more recent happenings in Jamaica. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Sianka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. 
You can like the show on Facebook and you can follow me, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on a mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guests, well, our second and third guests, technically, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Well, we have a treat for the second part of the show. We have not one, but we have two guests who are going to speak about the more current happenings and vibe in Jamaica. One is Jennifer Furioli. Jennifer is executive director of the Jamaica Center Business Improvement District, which is actually the largest business improvement district in Queens. Jen is responsible for financial management, board stewardship, and oversight of all programs, including beautification initiatives, direct business support, marketing initiatives designed to brand the area to attract shoppers downtown, and a supplemental sanitation program that, get this everyone, removes litter and graffiti from Jamaica Avenue. I want to ask her about the graffiti removal. Before joining the Jamaica Center bid, Jennifer worked with the New Rochelle Downtown Business Improvement District, the Lincoln Square bid on the Upper West Side, and New York City's Department of Small Business Services, which oversees the city's network of 76 business improvement districts. And speaking of the city's business improvement districts, Jennifer is a newly appointed executive board member of the NYC Bid Association, an all-volunteer association comprised of all executive directors of New York City's 76 bids. She's an active member of the Queens Chamber of Commerce and has many other affiliations. She holds a master's degree in public administration from NYU's Wagner School of Public Service. And our third guest or second guest in the second part is Elena Calderon. Elena is owner of the restaurant Rincon Salvadoreño, which is located in Jamaica. Elena emigrated from El Salvador to the cold state of Minnesota some time ago. During this period, she earned a master's degree in teaching. 25 years ago, she moved to New York, where she met her husband, who was owner of the family restaurant in Jamaica. After his passing, Elena decided to continue the business, challenging herself to keep the business open and making it a favorite Salvadorian restaurant in New York City. Jen Ferrioli and Elena Calderon, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Happy to be here. And I think Elena is still muted. <laughs> okay, we'll have her unmuted in a second. Um, Jen, are you from New York originally? I am not from New York. I'm probably from the place as different from New York as one can be, which is I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is probably among the most different it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Sparsely populated, one yeah. representative in the whole state. Yep. Um, it's one of the de decreasing number of states I haven't been to. When, when did you move to New York? I moved to New York in um, 2005, so I've actually been a New Yorker for quite some time. I moved mm -hmm. there for grad school and ended up staying. How could I not? Yes, well, yes, absolutely. Uh, 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 we had an author on who wrote a book about uh, the history of New York called The Island at the Center of the World, and for those of us who live here, that's what it is for us. Mm -hmm. um, Elena, you're not from the U.S. When you moved to the States, you didn't move to New York originally. What took you to Minnesota, of all places? Because many, many immigrants, you know, their, their first uh, place that they moved to is New York. <laughs> yes, it's uh, a very interesting question. Actually, my mom, she was, um, she's the one who actually uh, migrated here by herself. And uh, a year later, she came back and uh, was able to get my sister and I to come. And she chose Minnesota first because of a job offering. And uh, she wanted, uh, she just, the job offering was good. And she just liked Minnesota, the ambience and so forth. So that's where I grew up. Well, I have to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker at heart. I'm fourth generation, but I love so many parts of this country. And I actually really like Minnesota. In fact, uh, I used to go do business uh, there when I was in the advertising business. And I used to get really excited when I'd have to go in the winter because I had all this cold clothing and I would get, you know, suited up. And I wouldn't walk in the skyways. I would actually walk in the street to feel the cold. Yeah. Talk about uh, strange <laughs> pleasures, right? Um, Jennifer, tell us a little bit about your history with, with business improvement districts. How, what was it about bids that had you decided that it would be such, become such a focus of your career? You know, um, I kind of fell into my career with business improvement districts, and I think that's actually 
uh, very common with people in my field. If if you speak to people that work for bids, they they come from everywhere. Um, many of them have a background in public administration or nonprofit management, as I do. But we've got people that have come into the field as published authors, as people from the arts, um, people you know from the medical field. It's it's funny how people fall into this. Um, for me, I was going to graduate school and I happened to get an internship with an organization just on the street called the Union Square Partnership, which was actually New York City's um, first official business improvement district. Prior to uh, business improvement districts, there were something called special assessment districts, which was, um, you know, very similar, but formed by state legislation. But anyway, so that's that's how I got my start. And then I ended up um, from there getting a job with the Department of Small Business Services, which is the agency that oversees uh, the bid network. And when I started at SBS, I remember there were 51 business improvement districts. So that program has grown significantly since my time working for the city. Um, now there are 76. Now there are 76 bids. What yeah. what took you to the Jamaica Center bid? It, I would, it, it's kind of different from New Rochelle and the Upper West Side. You know, how did, how, what, what took you to Jamaica? Uh, the outgoing executive director and I knew each other professionally. And as she was getting ready to depart, she suggested that I look at that opportunity. And um, I went out there and instantly fell in love with the community. Um, I liked the feel of the streetscape. I liked the passion of the board of directors for the work that they were trying to do in downtown Jamaica. And, um, you know, as I, as I strolled the street, I couldn't help but notice King Manor Museum was referenced earlier by your guest, Jason. That really caught my eye. Um, the interesting and eclectic retail mix. I liked, um, you know, I, I passed Margarita Pizza, and anybody who's familiar with Jamaica knows Margarita Pizza, and I just, I loved that vintage storefront, and I popped my head in there, and I saw that they even had the vintage um, registers, and and then I liked, yeah, just the, I could tell that things were happening with all of the new development, you know, that the skyline is rapidly changing, and so you could see this kind of interesting contrast of um, historic and new. And I thought this would be a, a really great neighborhood to work mm. in. Elena, when did your husband open Rincon Salvadoreño? Did I pronounce it okay? Yes, Rincon Salvadoreño. Yes, well, uh, the Rincon Salvadoreño was opened in 1980. And uh, the originally owners, they had it for two months and they had an emergency. And therefore, my husband bought the restaurant. Uh-huh. But the restaurant was actually, I'm located on, uh, in the corner of 149 in Jamaica Avenue. And um, the address, we had like a back entrance. But now I expanded the restaurant and now we're facing right in Jamaica. And oh, I'm right in the corner there. So it's we've been there for, we're the first Salvadorian restaurant in New York. Wow. So that's exciting. Well, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask each of you how the neighborhood has changed in the last decade, maybe. But um, the Jamaica 40 years ago, Elena, was much different from the from the the Jamaica we we see today. What had your husband decide to go into business in Jamaica back then? Well, I think really because they came. Uh, my, my husband and his family are from a, from a, a department in El Salvador, Santana, and uh, the food. It was actually the food. It was an opportunity that I don't think that back then he really realized what Jamaica was. I mean, I don't think it that when he got it was just a business opportunity that and later on that, of course, changed because of the customers and so forth. So he um, he started the Salvadorian restaurant. Yeah. Hmm. Jennifer, are there any challenges that you encounter at, at the Jamaica Center bid? that you didn't experience in any other any other business improvement district? Well, I would say the biggest and most unique challenge hasn't necessarily been a place-based challenge. It's been a 
a historical challenge, and that historic challenge was what we are now emerging from, which is COVID. Um, I, you know, have never worked in a situation where things changed so rapidly. I mean, within a matter of weeks, we had to shut down our office, go remotely. Uh, but we also, you know, essentially help advocate for and service approximately 400 businesses in our district. And, mm. um, you know, it, it was sort of uh, drinking from a fire hose for our staff trying to figure out how do we keep on top of all of these rapidly changing business regulations and information and help our businesses absorb all of that. Elena's, you know, very good at staying on top of these things, but we have a lot of um, very small businesses that aren't necessarily tapped in to technology and things like that. And, you know, we tend to communicate with them by walking into the store and speaking with them and developing those kinds of relationships. And that works very well in ordinary times. Um, But it was quite a different experience when all of a sudden everybody was trying to work remotely and the city was really leaning into us to help reach these businesses. So um, it was quite an experience. We had a lot of late, late nights. Um, We were trying to publish lists of you know, if you remember, it all feels so long ago now, but essential businesses and helping businesses understand if they were essential and then communicating um, to customers which essential businesses were open and how could they buy goods from them. And um, and so I've, I've clearly never experienced anything like that. But some really innovative things came out of this as well. Um, during the course of this, we developed... Uh, an emergency cell phone notification system um, so that we could better reach out to businesses. And um, so overall, you know, things worked out, but. Oh, great. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Jennifer Furioli and Alina Calderon on Jamaica in Queens. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to talk radio, NYC uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York and our show on Jamaica, Queens. My second guests or my guests for the second part of the show are Jennifer Furioli, the executive director of the Jamaica Center Business Improvement District, and Elena Calderon, 
who owns Rincon Salvadoreño, which is actually the first Salvadorian restaurant in New York. And talk about small world. Uh, Jen is from Cheyenne, and we just found out that our first guest, his mother lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming now. Oh, so weird. Country, <laughs> country of 330 million people. Right. Go figure. Um, let's talk more about Jamaica. Describe the vibe of Jamaica, Jen and Elena. What do you, what do you like about it? Go ahead, Elena. Oh, okay. Um, I love Jamaica. I've, um, I, I, after I moved from Minnesota, I, um, I fell in love in Jamaica. I was, I, let me see, I was, it was like in the late eighties and, um, I liked the diversity. It, it had a really bad reputation back then, but, um, I liked the culture. I just, I just really always liked the feel of, uh, of the whole community. And, uh, of course, when I started going into the restaurant, then more of the customers. And so I felt like I was kind of like even El Salvador in a way. <laughs> yeah. and I think that's the feel that I got from Jamaica. Very warm. And so that's, I, I, I really, I really like Jamaica. <laughs> I always have. Elena, how do you, how, you've, you've been in, in doing business in Jamaica for a lot longer than Jen, so I want to direct this next question to you. Um, how has Jamaica changed since you first uh, started doing business in the neighborhood and being a business owner in the neighborhood compared to now? What, what have the changes been like? Um, I think that there's been a lot of diversity. There's much more businesses. Um, and definitely the development. Now, back in when I first went to Jamaica, I also remember that it was not a very safe, it did not have a very good reputation. And that's carried over for many, many years. Um, but you know, I always saw beyond that. And uh, I did, I never knew when I, when I first uh, went there, I never thought about all the, const- all the development that was going to go on. And uh, throughout the years, all of that has automatically changed the whole area. There's uh, more businesses, like I've said. There's more diversity. And um, even with my old customers, my old customers, they, they're not necessarily anymore in the Jamaica area. They've moved out and there's new people have come in. So it's definitely a huge change. And I think it's changing even more as, you know, as time goes by. Mm. Well, I want to direct this next question to, to each of you. Um, Jen is your director of the bid and Elaine is a business owner. Um, is there anything that, that you struggle with in the neighborhood that you would like to see some kind of a, um, a breakthrough or resolution in? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll answer that in, from my uh, perspective. I think that um, one of the things, the reputation that Jamaica has, like I said, it's still not good. And people are afraid. For example, here in uh, I live um, I live in in Long Island, and a lot of people when they find out when I talk to them about the restaurant where it's located, right away it's negative because it's got such a negative um, reputation still. And I think that um, you know cleaning up. Uh, there's been a lot of cleaning up the throughout Jamaica, and it's improved a lot. And I think is continuing to do the same thing. Um, so that's been a struggle with uh, the homeless has been a struggle there. Um, but like I said, it's improved. It has improved. And mm-hmm. it's, I, and I think that uh, more involvement has to be from, you know, from uh, other resources. And, um, but I think it's, it's, it's an exciting, it's very exciting. I'm very excited now that all these buildings are going to be finished and hopefully occupied, there's going to be a lot of diversity in the area. So I'm very excited about that. Well, great. We have a couple of minutes left. Uh, Jen, I wanted to ask you about some initiatives that you're working on now with the bid and things that you hope to, to accomplish and that will uh, you know, contribute to the, to the evolution of the neighborhood. Sure. So, um, you know, Elena was talking about uh, things that we struggle with. And I think for me, one of the things I really struggle with is kind of what I see as sort of disinvestment um, in the streetscape. We have crosswalks, you know, that are in poor condition and empty tree pits and just um, 
things that haven't been cared for or managed well. And I know you were asking one thing we really like about that area, and it's the community. And and there's such community pride there and people that really, really care about this neighborhood, longstanding residents. And I just Mm -hmm. think that these people know they deserve better and they want better for their downtown. And so that's something our business improvement district has been working hard to address. We're um, working with our local elected leadership to refurbish our tree pits, which are in very sad condition. Our tree canopy is, you know, almost non-existent. Um, And we uh, just partnered with Greater Jamaica Development Corporation and with support of local city council member Denise Miller and Department of Small Business Services, we're restoring our landmarked historic clock, which is from the early 1900s. And it's a beautiful a clock. Beautiful clock. Um, and it's going to be even more beautiful. And it's going to work. Um, and so that's going to be reinstalled in about a month and a half. And so we're very excited to get that project done. And how can people find out about the bid? What's your website address? Uh, we are at jamaica.nyc, and you can also find us on social media at Jam Center Bid. Oh, great. And Elena, what's the web address for, for Rincon Salvadoreño? It's www.rinconsalvadoreño.us. Great. All right. Well, Jennifer Ferrioli, Executive Director of the Jamaica Center Bid, and Elena Calderon, owner of Rincon Salvadoreño, thank you so much for being guests on the program. Thank you. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors for the program, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in your in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer this evening is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant for the program is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. www.talkradio.nyc Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content Creates Wealth. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Friday afternoon from 1 p.m. to 2. They say content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. Every episode features tools and tips for content marketing and business people telling the wise content stories of that success. Tune in every Friday from 1 p.m. to 2 on talkradio.nyc. you listeners looking to boost your business why not advertise on talk radio nyc with very reasonable rates interested simply send us a message on our website talkradio.nyc do you love or are you intrigued about new york city and its neighborhoods i'm jeff goodman host of rediscovering new york weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Howdy, I am Joseph.
Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 